We're going through, and we've started a series on Jesus loves, and who does Jesus love? And today, it's Jesus loves the curious. Now, I would dare say that probably most of you have been curious at some time in your life. In fact, I would say that there are probably many of us in here that could not go from 7 o'clock in the morning to 7 o'clock at night without checking Facebook. Because I, I just got to know. I got to know. Somebody might have put something on there. That I mean, I, I got to know. And then how many of you in your families, you, most of you, you have somebody in your family, when it comes to Christmas, they're what I call present shakers. They find something under the tree that looks unique, and before you can say stop, they've got it, and they're doing this with it. And it's rattling, and, and, and what is it? And I got to know, and my curiosity is being piqued. That's our nature. And there are some things that you may have been curious about. And so I came up with a list of things that maybe you're curious about this morning. So I'm going to explain curiosity, give you a definition of curiosity, tell you why most of us are curious. Then we're going to look at a man in Scripture who was very curious. And then we're going to finish with some Scriptures on why maybe we should be more curious about God's Word. But listen to these. Have you been curious and you wanted to know what will be my final thought before I exit? What if I knew then what I know now? How would my life be different? Why do some foods taste better after they've been in the refrigerator for a day and you reheat them? Curious. Why do they taste better? Why do you see the word terminal so often on signs at the airport? Isn't there a better word that could be used to describe which area you should go to? I'm going to the terminal. What do the apes think about when they look up in the zoo and they're locked up and they see people all around looking and laughing at them? What do they think about? Haven't you been curious about that? What about, have you ever thought, are there hidden treasures in my front yard or in the neighbor's front yard that's been buried there for hundreds of years? Should I get a shovel and start digging? That might be my retirement plan. I'm curious. What do cats see that we don't when they appear to look around at something in the air? What do they see? How many times have I been very close to death but never knew it? Curious. Why do so many young people sag their pants? Just curious. Is shyness a condition or a choice? Why do people in a long line to Starbucks always remind me of heroin addicts standing in line at the methadone clinic. I'm curious. And what do we learn from our mistakes? And were they really mistakes? See, things that we are all curious about. 
And so without going into any kind of clinical definition, let me share this with you because it may help some of us because you may just be really frustrated with your curiosity. Because we are innately and constantly in a state of dissatisfaction over just about everything we experience, we're therefore innately and constantly in a state of trying to make things less dissatisfying. In order to achieve this, we try to understand things because understanding things puts us in a position from which we can possibly manipulate them to our own liking. As a result, we're innately and constantly curious about everything and about how things work because we suspect that once we know, we can use the knowledge to make them work better because knowledge is power. So understanding our curiosity, it's the question of when, why is it that when one man builds a wall, the next man immediately needs to know what's behind that wall. Albert Einstein said this. He said, I have no special talent. I'm only passionately curious. Now, curiosity is simply the desire to know something more about someone or something. Curious. And I, I'm setting this in our thinking this morning because we're going to come back to it here at the, at the end of the message. Curiosity can be good. You can be curious in terms of space exploration, medical research. Even perhaps when some of you were cooking this week, you said, I wonder what it would be like if I substituted this for this. I'm curious. Knowing about God, learning to follow Jesus, our purpose for our life, good things. But curiosity can also be bad. When we go against a warning or command not to do something, and when we are curious to find out why not. See, that was how I was raised in my environment. We've all come from different backgrounds of faith. And I know it sounds very legalistic, and it was, but I was raised in an environment where you don't go to dances, and you don't drink, and you don't smoke. And basically, that's about it. And if you don't do those things, then you're a pretty good person. But probably not unlike most of you here, as you were growing up, and maybe you had those restrictions placed on you, you got to a place in life where you began to ask, why not? Why, why can't I go to a movie? Why, why can't? Why can't? And so that curiosity begins to peak, and here we are in a state of trying to figure out, why not? Well, it, it will get you in trouble if you're on the highway and the speed limit says 65, and you're wondering, I wonder what would happen if I do 75. You're curious. It'll get you a ticket. And if you're playing around with electricity and gas and you don't know anything about those two elements, and you're wondering, I wonder what happens if I put these two wires together. I wonder what happens if one, once I get the gas light run, unless, unless you are an expert in this, don't take a match and, and, and look for leaks. Soapy water works better, and it's far less safe. 
See, there's something about the curiosity in us that sometimes overtakes us. I have to admit, when I got home, we were home about three days. Barbara and I went online and we Googled total hip replacement. (laughs) And we watched the video of a total hip replacement. Now, I wouldn't recommend this if you haven't had one yet, don't do it. But I was curious. I wanted to know. So I'm watching this, and I, I look at these tools, and I say, I recognize these tools. These are things that we use at the little White House when we're tearing down stuff. There's the cordless drill and the cordless saw and the crowbar and all of the, I recognize those tools. And as I watch this procedure take place, it it resolved my curiosity because I wanted to know why is the doctor telling me I can't drive for six weeks? Why do I have to have a cane when I walk? Why am I limited in what I'm doing? And why, with a total hip replacement, normally it's about one year recovery until you're totally back to doing what you've been doing. Why, 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 why? So we went online and we watched it because we were curious. Now, there's a story in Luke chapter 19 that I want to share with you because it's about a man who was curious. And I'm going to read that with you uh, this morning. And so it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. God forbid we rub shoulders with a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now there are several things that that scripture tells us. Number one, I think is quite unique is that Jesus knew his name. Never seen him before, but he knew his name. So here's some takeaways from that story that I want to share with you today. First of all, it's never too late to change. And what God has placed in my heart for today, I believe is speaking to people right here in this auditorium this morning. Because I believe that there are still some of you who want to change and you know that you need to change but you have bought into this deception that it's just too late to change. I've been this way. This has been my lifestyle. That was the result of my environment. 
uh, this is the way I was made, the way I was created, and it's just too late to change. Well, I'm here to tell you today that you can transcend your childhood environment. So I'm saying very strongly to you, if you have been resistant to change of what God is wanting to do in your life based on your childhood environment, I'm imploring you today, stop it. Generational curses can be broken. God is able to take those things that we deem unworthy and useless and turn them into something that glorifies Him. So I'm saying to you this morning that you have actually been living a lie of deception and you have allowed excuses to stop you from being what God wants you to be and stop you from finding Jesus. You see, all of us have stories of childhood environment. And, and as Paul said, remember he said, I, among you I'm probably the chiefest of sinners. And sometimes you look at us as pastors and think we've never had a bad environment. We, it's just everything has been great. We've had a silver spoon. We've just been Shekinah glory all over our childhood environment. And you can't relate to the fact that maybe we've walked in your shoes at one time. But very quickly, when I knew and I learned that I was born out of wedlock, I learned that my biological father was killed in an accident when I was two years old. My stepfather was never a father to me, never told me he loved me, never went to a ball game that I started playing in the fifth grade, never attended one game. When my family, which was so dysfunctional, but my family makeup was those who at that time, it wasn't the heavy drugs we have today, but basically diet pills and nerve pills. And my aunts would take one to get high and one to come down. And most all of the family were very heavy drinkers. There was adultery in my family, attempted suicides in my family, spousal abuse, very severe in my family. And so when I look at that environment and I'm standing today, I could very easily say, God, I, I, can't, be, I can't be in your work. I can't be used of you. I can't be that vessel, that instrument that you want me to be because of my environment. But I believe for somebody here, maybe more than that, but for somebody here today, if it's just for one person, God is saying to you, you can transcend your childhood environment. It no longer has to control your life. Then it's been proven that our IQ number is changeable. Perhaps you were in the junior high or high school and they did an intelligent quotient test and you had an IQ of whatever number that was and, and that's defined you for all of your life. And yet with the technology that we have today, you can learn, you can, you can increase your knowledge you can increase your comprehension. You can increase all of those things and, and wisdom that, that you're looking for. It's changeable. It, irregardless of what you were labeled in school, that can change. Irregardless of what your father called you all of your life. Maybe you were 14 before you realized that your first name wasn't dummy. 
because that's all you ever called. Hey, dummy, give me something to drink. Hey, dummy, pick that up. Hey, dummy, go mow the yard. Hey, dummy. But friends, it's changeable. It's never too late to change. And our status from sinner to saint can be sudden, as we see in this story of Zacchaeus. Now, the second takeaway I had was this. Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. He brings hope to the hopeless. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Born again, new birth, starting over, fresh start to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. See, when we look at this man by the name of Zacchaeus, and it may be the pronunciation may be based on when you learned about this story. When I was a kid, he was Zacchaeus. But what do I know? I still say Davenport. So it may be based on, on, on your pronunciation, but I still remember Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed the sycamore tree. And if you were in Sunday school, that might have been one of those little courses that you sang. But here is a man that in all natural understanding, there was no hope for this guy. He was a tax collector which meant that the Roman government would, would, if you will, would parcel out to other people to collect taxes in their region for the government. And just for simplicity's sake, for round numbers, they would say something like this. The tax is $10. If you can get 20, you can put 10 in your pocket. That's how it worked. Not a whole lot different today. So here Zacchaeus was, he was a tax collector, he was corrupt, he was an extortionist, he was a cheat, he was a dirty, dog-down kind of a guy. And in all natural understanding, we may look at somebody like that and say, there's no hope for him. And maybe you're sitting here today and you've been so hard on yourself and you've just beat yourself up and say, but Pastor Don, you don't know me. I've done this and this and this and this. Have you been worse than Zacchaeus? The things that we say that we've done and and certainly our life, our past is filled with regrets and sorrow and, and things we wished we could do over. And if we knew then what we know now, how would our life be different? But I'm here to tell you today, when you meet Jesus, he brings hope. And it's a part not only of a declaration of the word, but there's a compassion in me this morning of knowing how many people in our community of faith 
have sat for years feeling as though there was no hope for them. And I believe that God wants to break that this morning and let you see that there is hope for your life. See, when Jesus came to Jericho, Zacchaeus was curious. He had heard about him. He heard here was a guy that had healed the blind and healed the deaf and he'd raised the sick and he'd raised the dead and he even took a coin out of a fish's mouth to help somebody pay taxes. And, and here's, a, I, I've heard stories of this guy. But now he's coming through Jericho, a very influential city, a city of commerce. In fact, Jericho was a city that one, at one time in the history, a king gave it to his wife as a gift. Now, guys, for you and I, we think it's a big deal if we get our wife a sweater for Christmas. Here's a guy that gave his wife a city. It's kind of hard to compete with that. Jericho was the place where Joshua and his army walked around at one time, for, one time a day for six days. And on the seventh day, he walked around it seven times, blew the trumpet, shouted, gave praise to God, and the walls all collapsed around the city. A very important city. And Jesus was passing through on his way to Jerusalem. And so Zacchaeus hears this and he goes, I, I got to see this guy. I've got to see it. So out of his house he goes and he can see nothing. Why? Because he was short. He was short. All he could see was the back of people's heads. And he was pressed into the crowd, and, and he couldn't see what was going on. And he says, I've got an idea. I mean, if he's smart enough to figure out how to chisel people out of money, he's smart enough to figure this out. So he finds a sycamore tree, and he climbs up into the tree. And lo and behold, it wasn't much later that here comes Jesus passing by. And Zacchaeus is able to begin to see the man that everybody's talking about. Do you have things in your life that hinder you from seeing Jesus? Do we have things in our life that we may call handicaps, barriers, that prevent us from having a meeting with Jesus? Is it culture? Say, Pastor Don, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. I feel like a lone ranger. And if I really want to find Jesus, I feel like I'm the only one. I'm just, you're not the only one. That's why around here, we talk about doing life together, following Jesus. We talk about community. You're not the only one. So here we are at this time that it could be culture that holds us back. It could be our pride that becomes our handicap. Well, I want to come to Jesus, but you know, I'm at a certain age now that if I admit I'm a sinner... If I admit that I'm a bad guy, if I admit to God that I've cheated and I've lied and I've extorted, well, newsflash, God already knows it. You're not telling him anything that's new. Yeah, but, if, but, but, but what people think, you see, there's a difference between reputation and character. And you and I may put on this great facade of our reputation but God knows our character. 
And so Zacchaeus is here, and in all practical purposes, he's just hopeless. And maybe it's our pride that's holding us back. We want to meet Jesus. We want Jesus to love us. We want to follow him. We want to live forever in heaven with him. But it's just our pride that's holding us back. How about wealth? God loves wealthy people just as much as he loves poor people. However, when we have all of the material means, we don't need God. Because if we got a problem, we, we buy the fix. If something breaks, we buy a new one. If we get discouraged, we hop on a plane and go to some South American island for a couple of weeks and bask in the sun and we come back and we're feeling great. Why do we need God? Because wealth has become our handicap. It's become our barrier. And then our environment, and I spoke on that earlier, the environment that we live in. You may be here today and say, Pastor Don, you know, if I come to Christ, I'll be the only one in my family. I understand that. I understand that completely. I understand what it's like to grow up, not in a perfect relationship, but in a very early age, four years of age is the earliest I can remember myself of being a part of church. And yet, all of those growing up years, and God had a call on my life when I was about the age of 12, went to Bible college, a whole story of miracles encompassed that, but I was one out of two cousins in our whole family that ever went to college. Most of my aunts and uncles, including my parents, only had an eighth grade education. And so here I am, growing up in this environment, and here I come to the place of, now I'm coming back from Bible college. At that point, among my cousins, the only Christian, the only one that's following Christ, and certainly the only one that was called into ministry. So Barbara can tell you, when we were married and we'd go back for family reunions, we would walk in to where we had the family reunion, and the whole family is sitting down on that end. And we'd be sitting down here. And these were people, these were cousins I had played with, cousins I had done overnight stays with. Cousins who I had loved and been a part of my life, and yet because of this calling and this difference, they didn't know how to handle it and accept it, and I, I felt isolated totally many times within my family. So I know what it's like to make a decision to follow Christ and being the only one that, that struggles with that. So you see, friends, there are things in our life that come up that could be our handicaps. We may not be short, but it, be, it could be culture. It could be pride. It could be wealth. It could be our environment. I'm asking you this morning, what's holding you back from totally, unconditionally becoming a follower of Jesus Christ? What's holding you back? The third takeaway I got from this was what we give up is nothing 
compared to what God has to offer. What we give up is nothing compared to what God has to offer. And the enemy will place that in your mind. But if I become a follower of Jesus, is he going to ask me to give this, 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 this? You see, I grew up in that whole, the holiness was all built around external things. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't dance, don't go to movies. And I can tell you that as a child, as a teenager, when we would have family reunions, all the cousins would pile into the cars because they're going to go see the latest movie. And I stood in the yard and watched them drive off because my mother said, no, you're not going to do that. I never held it against my mother because she had such amazing love for me and, 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 and care for me. I never held that against her. But I know what it feels like to be alone in your faith. So when we come to this place of thinking, well, I'm going to have to give this up, give maybe not. Maybe not. You see, holiness is not externalism. Holiness is things that God works on our heart and our lives. And i got to tell you something. When you're following Christ and have a relationship with God, and he's asking you to give something up, it's not going to be a big deal. Because I have learned a long time ago what God has in store for me is far greater than anything that I've ever given up. And I remember saying this, and not in a frivolous way, but I remember making this statement, if God never does another thing for me from today till I leave this earth, I will thank him and praise him and worship him for who he is. So here's the thing. My question for us this morning is this. Aren't we a little curious about what God has for us? Aren't we just a little bit, a little bit curious? Such as Jeremiah 33, 3. Ask me and I will tell you remarkable secrets you do not know about things to come. Aren't we a little curious as to what some of those secrets might be? Aren't we a little inquisitive about what God is wanting to share with us about things to come? Doesn't that pique our curiosity just a little bit? John chapter 14, verse 13, prior to that, Jesus said, If you abide in me and I abide in you, you can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Aren't we a little curious what that means? I'll tell you what that means. That means that on October 16th, Don and Barb Fisher and their family and their friends and their church came to God and said, God, cover him in your prayer. God, put your hand upon his life. Protect him. Guide the doctors. Guide the surgeons. And I can tell you what that means is this coming Tuesday morning, those family and friends in the body of Christ at Erie First Assembly is going to say, God, as we pray for Adam today, we are abiding in you, and you are abiding in us. And you said, ask what, anything in my name, and I will do it. And God, we're asking you today to cover him with your blessing and your grace. 
But aren't we a little curious? I understand that we're not all at the same level. I understand that. But it's just scripture. It's God's word. It's Jesus saying these things to us. Here's one, Romans 8, 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living in you. Doesn't that raise a little bit of curiosity as to what that means? For me, that means that if the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is dwelling in me, he will quicken my mortal body for my strength, for my healing, for my wisdom, for knowledge, for insight. How about Philippians 4.19? And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Have you ever had a need? Have you ever had something that you needed, but you didn't have the resource? My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And do you know the neat thing about it, friends? There's even some times he supplies our wants. There's even some times that he satisfies our desires. So aren't we curious about these verses? I mean, these are not the 66 books of the Bible. These are just a few verses I picked out talking about who we are in Christ and the benefits that we have. James 5.15, such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed only any sins, you will be forgiven. Aren't you curious about that? When I was 15 years old, I had hepatitis. Throat all swollen, glands swollen, jello water for almost seven days in the hospital. My mother says, Don, is there anything I can do for you? Anything I can get? And I said, Mom, would you call my Sunday school teacher and have him come and pray for me? My Sunday, not the pastor, not the church board, not the elders. I had a relationship with my Sunday school teacher that I knew he was a godly man. And, and, and Basil Stevens came to my hospital room. Wasn't anything. I mean, he didn't throw white hankies, and he didn't spit over the walls, and he didn't sweat drops of blood. And he, he, he prayed a very simple prayer. But after he prayed and he left and went on back to his home that afternoon, everything began to clear, and the swelling began to go down. And that night, the reason I remember it so much is for supper, I had fried chicken, mashed potatoes and gravy, green beans, and chocolate cake. Why? Even at 15, I didn't really understand it. But as I read through there and I said, God, I must have been doing James 5.15. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. Later on, I had mononucleosis, both in senior in high school, flat on my bed, I've got medications, and I've got this old record, nobody even knows who this guy is, Governor Jimmy Davis, 
And on this song, he's singing, my God is real. And I'm listening to the words, some may doubt, some may scorn, deserve to leave me alone, but it's the one thing I truly know, my God is real. And as a 16-year-old, I'm laying in that bed, and I'm saying, God, if you're real, I believe you can heal me. And I got up and took my medicine. I walked into the kitchen. I gave it to my mother, and I said, Mom, I don't need these anymore. She said, oh, doctor said. But Tara, wherever you at, doctor said, but God. But God. And I said, God has healed me. That was on a Saturday. The next day, Sunday, I was in church. And later on in years, as I got older, I went to donate blood. And obviously, they screen, not a sign of hepatitis in my body. And I say that to the glory of God, but friends, I say that, that it's not unlike some people say, well, God does that for pastors. I wasn't a pastor. I just a wet behind the ears 16-year-old that's still trying to figure out what to do with life. But I understood the verse as I got older. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Now, my challenge to you is this, and I understand tradition, and I understand importance of pastoral connection, but I want us to get past this idea that unless the pastor prays for me, nothing good's going to happen. God has placed Sunday school teachers and elders and council members and people in your life that have just as strong a prayer base as pastors do. And so call on them. Call on them. Come over. Pray for me. Anoint me with oil. But doesn't that verse pique a little bit of our curiosity that this is what God wants to do for us? Because here's the thing. The more curious you become the more God's going to love on you because God loves the curious. So here's Zacchaeus. He joins the ranks of some notable people, Abraham the liar, Jacob the cheat, David the adulterer, Rahab the harlot, Peter the coward, Nicodemus the proud religious leader. And here's Zacchaeus. Experiencing transformation. The dishonest man became honest. He said, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And those who I've extorted, I'm going to give back four times. The selfish man became generous. And the sinful man became righteous. Because God loves the curious. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to ask you that in this post-Thanksgiving of turkey and dressing and pie and Black Friday shopping and a lot of frustrations, I'm going to challenge you this week. Become curious. Become curious. And if just take one verse 
and say, God, you said if we call on you, you will show us great and mighty things about things to come that we don't know. And just let that simmer in your heart, in your spirit, in your mind. And you will be amazed at what God will show you. Father, we thank you this morning for this day. We thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. Jesus, thank you for loving the curious. Thank you that you know our name even before we've met you. Jesus, thank you for being willing to come even in our unchristlike condition and sit in our homes and walk beside us and love on us. And Father, we pray today that we will be reminded that it's never too late to change. God, that you give hope for the hopeless. And when we are trusting you for this, we have to recognize that there's nothing that we give up but what you have something greater for us. Father, I pray for my friends today. I also pray for those of our church family who's traveling back and forth, that you give them safe travels back home, that this day will be blessed and ordered of you. In your name I pray. Amen.